0: It doesn't matter if the shot is soft focused, if it's underexposed, if it's poorly composed, if you don't show the important moments, that is a mistake. Even if you didn't capture it properly, you've got to give your bride and groom something to remember even if it was not executed perfectly. It matters so much more just being able to like jump back into that moment and relive it even if it wasn't documented (laughs) perfectly. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nicotra, here with my friend, my uh, entrepreneurial pal, Shane zammer Shane, how are you doing, brother?
1: Good, man. Good to be back in the studio and uh, doing a very interesting uh, topic today. Yeah, man. So uh,
0: we've been doing a lot of episodes with guests, but we wanted to kind of take it back uh, today to do a new hybrid episode where we kind of do some Q and A where we've scraped some questions off the internet. We've gotten some questions from you guys, and it's all about weddings today. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Shane and I definitely got our start in the industry like most of you guys, shooting a bunch of weddings to uh, you know start our careers, start making money in the industry and. It was really uh, my foundation getting into filmmaking was shooting weddings and Shane, uh, all the way back in the day was really my mentor and was the one who taught me how to film weddings. Uh, He booked my first wedding that I ever got to shoot and kind of showed me the ropes, let me second shoot for him, and showed me how it's done. Um, and so today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we've learned being in the wedding industry. Uh, and hopefully, add some value to you guys by providing some of the experience we've got.
1: Dude, you just unlocked a core memory, though. Like when uh, the first wedding yeah. project ever puts you on. That's That's a hard... That was a hard thing to do, right? So yeah. Joey probably shot—I don't know—dozen plus weddings with me. Second shot, I think I like had him kind of do the lead position on a few and kind of shadowed him if I yeah. m- remember right. And uh, then I was in Portland, Oregon, and he was shooting his first like wedding without me with a with another second shooter. And uh, and that's you know when we started to, like expand and grow uh, into a company and have multiple lead shooters. And I remember being in Portland, Oregon. I was actually um, at a chiropractic office uh, getting adjusted, and I kept like checking my phone. making I'm like, what is he going to do? He's going to text yeah. you or call you and be like, everything's on fire. Yeah. You know what, I mean? Anyways, <laughs> what are you going to do about it? He crushed it, and it was a great uh, wedding film. But yeah, core memory unlocked. Yeah. It's def- it, wedding films, to me, are one
0: of those things that, I feel like if you can do one of them, you can do anything in the industry. Like you have to, if you're running a wedding properly, you have to know how to balance multiple cameras, be quick on your feet, think creatively, run audio and video, deal with lighting. Um, You have to really be able to do everything That is required for an entire film, and you have to be able to do it fast. Talk about
1: customer service, too. Deal with the bride. Deal with the groom. Sometimes it's their parents. Maybe it's a crazy bridesmaid or a Pressure of making your day. Like, all of it, dude. Like, if you
0: can handle a wedding film, you can handle any other corporate commercial job. Um, You know, I don't want to say any other, but... You can definitely be prepared for a lot of commercial work if you can handle a wedding properly. It
1: teaches you a lot. You're right. It in does. all different positions. And I actually I started actually in commercial work in 2010 and then I didn't do a wedding till 2012, but I learned more on that first wedding just as that freelance filmmaker going, "Oh man, I'm not prepared or yeah. I need to do, you know, whether it was a system or process that I needed to implement in my business." Or uh, a piece of gear that I was like, oh, that would have made this so much better if I had it. Or knowing how to operate that gear even better. Um, So, yeah, I agree with you, man. It's, you know, a lot of people turn their nose up on wedding films. And you and I, you know, don't shoot that many, if any, at all now. But we have teams that do. But at the same time, man, I'm super thankful for all the weddings we did film. Because like you said... I think it does level up the freelancer that is going to go into camera, audio, uh, being able to do all of those things. Even if you, you know, your goal is to end up on set as a DP, you know what it is like to capture audio in an event type situation, right? Um, Anyways, we've got a bunch of questions that I'm pumped to get into because one of them is about audio and I think it's super important. It's always been kind of a pillar of cinema story, wedding films to get good audio and how yep. do you do that. But before we get into these questions, and I've we've got way too many. We'll never make through yep. the day. I gotta know, man, uh you know, you and I've probably done as a company, I think 150 plus weddings uh since 2012. You know, we've gone all over the world. We've done destination weddings. We're established out in Isla Moharis, uh, you know, Mexico with some planners and venues out there. We've Won some awards. We've had some viral video content. But out of all these stories, I want to know, like, what's the craziest thing you've seen on a wedding day?
0: Um, man, I, <laughs> I have a lot of crazy stories. I think I've probably shot in the ballpark of somewhere between 100 and 125 weddings, more than likely in, in my career so far. And I'm sure there's you know people who've shot more than me, but that's an extensive amount of memories uh, to pull from. I I got one memory where the <laughs> the bride actually got so nervous before her day that she drank to take the edge off, and she got so drunk that she fell over <sighs> during the ceremony and was unable. They had to push the day like an or the ceremony like an hour past when it was supposed to happen because the bride was sleeping due to drinking too much. And it was like, I, I've i never been in this situation
1: before. I don't know what to do. So, so. you're like, uh, you guys are good with adding an extra hour yeah, to right. your <laughs> bill? <laughs>
0: well, and dude, the groom was pissed, oh, bro. Oh, man. He was like, because, oh. ve- you know, he's separate from her. Right. And she starts walking down the aisle and she's like stumbling and literally falls to the floor. Mm in the middle of the ceremony because she's so intoxicated and yeah he was just like you could see how fuming he was and just embarrassed like his family was there and she was falling in the middle of the ceremony and i was like this is crazy
1: ah oh, that's that's sad brutal it is sad, sad. Man, yeah because it's it been but it happens man people get so nervous <laughs> and you know and obviously you know alcohol is uh consumed at these weddings before yep. and after for, uh, by most of the guests or the Brides, grooms, and I've seen. I've got another story that's similar, and I'm. It's way, way back, but I remember being at a reception, and uh, the um, uh, the the father of the groom had brought in some, uh, let's say, party favors. Not that there wasn't alcohol, and was caught in the bathroom doing those party favors. And so, the end of the night, like, security came in. There was, like, a whole exit, you know, and, like, it was like, oh, and the wedding's over now, you know, because we're getting kicked out of the venue. Um, But that one was uh, very unique and different. And this was before you. I forgot to tell you that story, man. That's crazy, dude.
0: You actually had another one. I wasn't there for this. I wish I was. But I remember you coming and telling me, but the DJ. Oh, The DJ tried to fight the father of the bride. This is
1: another probably alcohol or drug infused uh, story. Obviously don't do drugs and alcohol guys, (laughs) Uh, but uh, the DJ. Okay. So the setup is this, the DJ, I, we had worked with him a couple of times before and it just sketchy. Yeah. And you know, we, you got to go plug into the DJ board and there was always, you know, never could get good audio from this guy. And so I, I, do my other systems of getting audio, but we'd still try to plug in. Um, It was like RCA connections. I'm like, you know, what is this, 1980? (laughs) So, you know, we... um, It's the last dance, right? The private last dance. And, you know, the bride and groom want us in there to capture that moment. And this guy's like, nope, nope, everybody out. Get out. Uh, It's just a private moment. And we're like, no, we literally have, like, done consultations with the bride and groom. We have shot list stuff that we want to get... We're not leaving. Yeah. And he's like, y'all can stay for one minute. I'm like, we're staying as long as we want. And we go and we're filming. Photographer, too. And then he starts putting hands on people after a minute. Gosh. Trying to push us out of this room. And, and you know, we don't typically film the entire, yeah. like, last dance. Sometimes we will slip out. But it was almost like, all right, it's on, you it's know. It's too much. So he, the planner came in and was like, you know, what are you doing? Like and so he put hands on the planner and was like pushing her out of the room. At this point we had exited to not cause a scene in front of the bride and groom. We had captured what we needed at that point. And so we're like, all right, let's let's clear, you know, and we're all ticked. And he puts hands on the planner because she's trying to go in. And that's when the father of the bride comes in and starts yelling at him. They get physical. And then we're like, we're all about to like drop cameras and like, you know, just take this guy down. They call cops. Uh it kind of like de-escalated a bit, you know, but he's yelling. He goes in. We're trying to do the exit with the bride and groom and we're trying to like keep it, you know, like keep them out of it, but it's like right by the it was it was so awkward, dude. So as they exit, okay? I don't know if I told you this, but as they exit and we're shooting, you know, the sparklers and all this stuff, um Police cars are pulling up. And so, like, afterward, it would have been really cool to get, like, that shot. It was just after Uh, the exit. But there's, like, three or four police cars out in the parking lot. Imagine having, like, the red and blue flashing lights, like, (laughs) while they're walking out for the exit. That'd be so crazy. Needless to say, we've definitely blacklisted him and his company. I won't say the name just for viable purposes. But, um, yeah, I think all venues and planners kind of have had similar things and uh supposedly like you know he had been yeah. boozing or you yeah. know partaking in some things to but yeah. it's like no excuse man like yeah. it's not it's not your day bro it's it's the bride and groom and uh you know it's egos yeah. get in the way yeah uh, you know and that could happen with photographers or videographers too thinking like oh i'm the biggest name at this wedding and i gotta get all my shots you know and it's like no it's, it's a teamwork yeah. effort man it's really about the bride and groom too at the end of the day.
0: yeah i th- this is a lighter note for sure because that's definitely <laughs> crazy. But uh, one of the, this was not even that long ago, probably like seven or eight months ago or something. I did like a couple weddings this year and it was like one of the more recent ones. But the the mother of the bride was recently divorced mm. and got like really trashed and started hitting on me <laughs> to the point to where the bride had to like tell her to stop and it became an issue where it was like it was awkward for me cuz i wasn't like it was like unwarranted unwanted and she like was just gone and the bride had to like like sp- like sit her down and stop her
1: mom stop it wow literally uh... yeah just weird yeah. stuff, man. But anyway. If Sydney's listening, now she's going to not let you go shoot any more weddings. Yep. Sydney,
0: <laughs> I love you, baby. I didn't do anything. I'm the victim here.
1: <laughs> but anyway. Uh, well, I, we've got more stories, and maybe yeah. we'll dive back into some, I'm sure, as yeah. we go. But I'm going to jump into these questions because yeah. we really want to try to provide, you know, again, combined you know, 150 to 200 weddings of experience with over 10-plus years. Starting as a freelancer, like maybe some of you, and then we've grown it into a wedding film craft uh, boutique company. Yeah. I'll call it. We're not a big box, you know, big name uh, company, um, and there's a reason for that as well. And we can kind of jump into some of that with Love these it. questions. But first one uh, on here, um, the actually, and I'm going to give a shout out to uh, to the person who asked it, uh, Mitch uh, Krauss, I believe. I hope I'm saying your name right. Thanks for the uh, question, but. It is, uh, his question is, how to how to get off the ground, how to get the first 15 weddings to get momentum going, and how do you know when to scale? And this is a big one. I feel it's like we gonna unpack question. this just on a, a full podcast. Totally. But, uh, going back, I'm just going to tell some stories. Going back and doing my first um, weddings, you know, that was in 2012. I was already doing commercial stuff, and somebody had asked, you know, it was a, a friend of a friend, hey, do you do weddings? And I'm like, sure, I need to make money. I'll, I'll do a wedding. And so, you know, taking that leap of faith, uh, I wish going back, I would have studied more um, to be better prepared. And you can do that easily on YouTube. So I would say first thing, you know, how to get it off the ground, get an education first, right? Get a YouTube education, go second shoot on um, with other wedding pros in the area, look them up on Instagram, Uh, make sure it's a reputable company so you don't get burned. There's a lot of horror stories of never getting paid or, you know terrible expectations you know terrible weddings uh that you get involved with um that you you know don't want to be involved with so make sure you vet who you're going to work with but get that experience right and then uh start marketing yourself right start start marketing yourself as a wedding filmmaker you're going to need at the very least social media to start right instagram account. Um, but obviously more professional. You want to do a uh, wedding website. And I think there's some questions about marketing, so I'm going to save some of that. But I think the important thing is that education, um, and then it's a waterfall effect. You have to have a portfolio. Yeah. So as you um, start shooting your, like that very first wedding I shot trickled into another one and another one. And I started with lower prices. I didn't even know what the price point was in the industry. Um So I'd say do your research there as well. You don't want to like go way under, but you can also be lower than, you know, the people around you that have a bigger portfolio. Um, There are clients in all different uh, levels of pricing. So I'm not, you know, people always get mad at me, but like, our clients aren't the two thousand dollar weddings, you know. Like you know, our clients are uh, higher end, higher priced weddings at this point. But at the beginning, two thousand dollar clients was our weddings, you know, it, even below that. Yeah. Um. And so I think, you know, know that it's okay to start slow, and your uh, your bookings will determine your price point as well. Like that's when I think you go, how do you get to the fifteen weddings? Well, make sure that you're priced competitively enough, not bottom of the barrel, but competitive um, and build that portfolio so that you can show that work. And there's a ton of marketing and networking that goes into that as well. Um, But that's how it grew for us. Like I did two or three weddings my very first year probably. And then I started marketing for that, right? Like identifying as, oh, I am a wedding filmmaker as well as a commercial filmmaker. And here's some past weddings. And you know what, here's a teaser promo that I cut. And then, you know, I eventually invested in a separate website that was just weddings, diversified, so it's not, you know, just niche, like, commercial and weddings. Kind of separated those two. So there's a lot of things you can do, but that's how it started to um, roll into those 15 weddings, uh, is that, and we ended up being, you know, you know we, we're not a company that's doing 60, 70 weddings a year. It's always been kind of a... Um, uh, a smaller percentage of our revenue stream at Cinema Story as we do a lot of commercial work, but uh, we have love the weddings, you know, uh, storytelling. And I'd say we do about anywhere from, you know, 20 on a slow year to probably 40 to 50 on a busy year. Um, and now we have five teams that kind of um, can split off and do uh, those weddings, right? So five leads, so we can technically do like up to five weddings or four weddings, we always have somebody on the bench as backup. Thanks, COVID. Uh, so you know that's kind of my suggestion on how we scaled it. But Joey, what what else would you add? Yeah, to that?
0: one thought that I would tack on to that is when when you're first getting started and you don't have experience of all the little nuances of how a day flows, there's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. And one of the things that is great is if you can find a friend or somebody who isn't planning on booking a wedding videographer and you're able to gift them their first video so that you can get portfolio work, there's no pressure on your shoulders on how well you do because you're giving them something when they would never have had anything to begin with. And so all of the pressure of not knowing what to do on your first day goes away. And it's like those early passion projects where you have to have a proof of concept that you are a wedding videographer. And so if you can find a friend who's getting married, and they don't have a budget for a wedding, and you can gift that to them, you can then build your first portfolio piece, make a ton of mistakes on that first job. Or the other thing that I would add to that is if you can go second shoot for somebody early on in the game that would probably be my number one recommendation just because you can take off that pressure learn like how to actually do the job well and in working in the wedding industry like for somebody else second shooting for them you'll naturally start to have more contacts that you can make that will then book you for your own work down the road
1: love that and if you you know this would have to be discussed with the company beforehand but if you're able to use your footage that you shot for them, you know, it's make a it reel. Yeah, and you make your own uh add it to your reel. So you got to be careful with that. You know, obviously if they're paying you then, you know, they're owning the IP on the content, but if that's discussion is had and there's a contract in place, then uh you know, that's a great way to build your reel while you're also potentially getting paid for it as well. And I would say too, tack on it, go shoot second shoot for free if you have to to get in the your foot in the industry so in fact we had sometimes we'll need a third shooter right for like a ceremony and we've had people wanting to get in the industry and we still pay them, you know uh cause we just want to pay our people but it's a good people have offered hey i'll come do it for free and that's a good way again to not even have the pressure that a second shooter has there are some things that a second shooter has to get right. in a wedding and we'll get to that i think that's another yeah. question on here but Love it, man. that's great man all right so here's another one that we pulled it's um And I think this is so important, and so many, uh, there's so many ways to do this. But what techniques do we recommend to mitigate common audio struggles during wedding videography?
0: Mm. Um, Well, one of the things that I do when I'm filming is I always have an onboard microphone with me throughout the entire day. Um, I never rely on scratch audio because, worst case scenario, if everything that I have fails, I have better uh backup sound coming in as scratch sound uh and that's the foundation for audio that I run throughout the whole day and even into the reception when you have all the crazy loud music going like you never know when there's going to be a, you know a moment where you step outside and someone you you get this you know little great audio moment or something like that so I always keep my uh Rode VideoMic Pro on my camera uh as like the foundation for scratch audio outside of that whenever you're recording like the ceremony or speeches or toasts or things like that uh, you always try to plug into the dj board Um, and i'll say this too this this may be an unpopular opinion but i actually always prefer to plug into the um, speaker instead of the dj board because the speaker is always going to output the audio that i'm looking for whereas Uh, i've had it before where i'm plugged into the dj board and he turns the the that channel all the way down somehow you know i'm not an expert on it but i've had it where i'm like dude i'm plugged in and i lost my feed and it output through the speakers so i always try to plug in through the speakers as often as possible and then i would also add to that um we'll use live mics so we can put a lavalier mic on the actual, uh, I'm sorry, not the bride, never the bride. Uh, At least we don't, but um, the groom and the officiant and then whoever's giving speeches and toasts uh, will mic them up in advance. Um, And we actually never, this is just my personal preference, but I never go wireless. Um, Just because there's so much going on, I always prefer to record directly into a separate recorder um, with a micro SD card built in and then sync it in post because there's a lot less risk i can't i can't um monitor it but i have it set to where i've never had any clipping issues with the setup that i have Um, and so we'll have the lav mic and then lastly as a as a triple safe backup we have what's called an insta mic um shane miss uh mispronounced it instamic and i'll never let him down for that (laughs) but uh insta mic which is basically like it's the size of almost a quarter And uh, you can put a mic sleeve on whoever's holding the mic, and it records directly into itself, and then you can sync it again in post. I
1: gotta share two stories why all of what you said is important. Um, Not about the instamic, 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 (laughs) Uh, um, but the uh, you plug it into the DJ. So you know the reason we learned very quickly to never trust the DJ audio. Like you know, try to get it, but always have a backup. Always have wireless microphones um is for that exact reason so they might accidentally kill your volume your feed and i've I've recorded a wedding and then got the audio even checked did a sound check yep okay i'm recording i'm getting levels everything's good i put it down i have to go start filming the ceremony because it's starting come back and like halfway through the volume just is gone yeah and it was still you know it was still coming through the speakers And so that's why we were like, if you can plug into a speaker, plug directly into a speaker because that's so heartbreaking. And thankfully at that time we were already doing a second system. I think at that time I was doing microphone, uh, um, uh, wireless microphone, so not the recorders yet, going to my camera. So I had a a backup system, um, but it was what we also found uh, with that, the story on that was another wedding we had cross signals with the DJ or with just uh, radio frequency traffic in general. Mm -hmm. Same thing. After the wedding, listen to the audio, and it's got all these radio frequencies and dropouts. And I was like, oh, my gosh. How am I going to make this ceremony work? Never going to use, you know, radio frequencies again. And of course, you know, it was partly user error, but it also because uh, we could uh, search for a better channel. Right. But those channels can be compromised. So in the middle, I've had that on a commercial set. In the middle of a commercial set, a channel gets compromised. Yeah. And so I've you know, I know RF has gotten a lot better and there's you know better systems out there like the road uh, that records as well as transmits. So I would yeah. always suggest that. But I love recorders. Because there's just less to go wrong, other than you can't monitor it. Right. But we got to the point where I can't monitor the audio. You know, I'd have to have somebody there monitoring the audio. I can't be running around with yeah. headphones and a receiver on my head while I was trying to get the shots that I yeah. was doing and communicate with my second shooter. So, yeah, man, I, it's it's so important in audio. You, it, it only happens once. Those are yeah. some of those moments: ceremony speeches. You can't be like, "Oh, do that again." And so you've got to have the at least at least a double, yeah. if not triple system. And I gotta share one more hack. A filmmaker that used to work for us shared this technique. And I was like, get out of here. This this does not work. And I actually used it when I shot your wedding. Um and I think it came in clutch because I think maybe the DJ might have killed my feet again there. Um, but I don't I, think
0: I wound up using it. I think I had a, you had another backup. Okay. I yeah, I had
1: I had three backups, yeah, yeah, yeah. if not four <laughs> in place on on your wedding. And because uh, that's how important audio to me is, right? And so right. the uh, you take like a task cam, like you're talking about a desk task I think they're called DL uh, dr
0: ten Ls. Yeah,
1: that that and uh, tech guy and uh, you. So it's a recorder, you know, that we usually put, you know, on the groom and the efficient, like Joey said, and then we I was told to hang it or tape it to the speaker. And you ter- put the limiter on. Like, one, I never usually use limiter. I use the, you know, the task cams record to uh, different levels. Now they have the 32-bit float, which is great. Um, so you don't ever have clipping issues. Um, but you put the limiter on, you tape it to the speaker, and then everything that comes out of that speaker, even if the, they kill your DJ feed or, or there's, you know, a, a weird buzz on the direct out of the speaker, you're getting at least a what's A higher quality. Yeah. yeah, and it worked. It, it did save... It's, it's not
0: amazing, but it's definitely better than not having anything. And I had
1: to use it at a destination wedding yeah. one time. Not not on yours, but I was in Mexico. Yep. Same thing. The board just wasn't really anywhere for me to come out. And all the speakers um, were linked together, so there was no out on the speaker available. Yeah. And so I did that system, plus I used the insta mic on the uh, wireless handheld. Um, they had too many speakers rotating through, so I couldn't mic everyone. Yeah. Um, but that way, I still had safe audio.
0: One other like piggyback thought, and then we can move on. But uh, I've had the another reason why I plug into the speaker and not the board is because I've had wireless mics get used, and we'll do a test on one wireless mic, and somehow it'll get mixed up, and a different mic will get handed to whoever's doing the speech, and then where my channel is plugged into is not actually the mic that is output through the speakers. And so I did all my due diligence and then a different mic for whatever reason got handed to the speaker. And now I don't have the feed. And so if you plug into the speaker, you always have whatever's outputting to the audience.
1: That's true. And that's, and there goes your Insta mic too. If you put the Insta mic on right. the one, and I think I remember talking that about this one with you. Yeah. yeah, And it was like, yeah, we put the Insta mic on, we had this, but don't worry, we plugged in the speaker, we got the audio. You know, because they it, those things are going to happen, man. Those things, the microphone fails, batteries go out, whatever it is, and they switch mics on you, then you're back to square one. Yep. So don't rely on one, not Never. even two, uh, sources of audio. And then and then finally I'd say too candid moments, man. Like first look, all that kind of stuff. We love throwing uh the the task cam or like a, a wireless recorder on them for those moments too. Uh along with your onboard camera mic, right? right? Because those moments are some of the most um now that we're both have been married and we experienced it, those are some of the moments you want to remember yeah. not only visually, but sometimes you want to be able to hear what 100%. was said. And so it's great anytime you can hide a mic and and uh, capture some of that audio. Yeah. Again, two system there, one on the uh, um, father of the bride, and then you know you've got your onboard camera mic. Love it. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we I think we beat audio to death. There's 100%. so much. There's so much more to that though. There's, there it's, is. It's so important. But that's a good starting point, I think, for people that are trying to uh, up their game on the audio. Uh, but so. Let me, uh, let's jump to this one because this one's this one's kind of uh, really uh, unique to us as well, but it's how do you approach clients to record their reactions while they view their wedding film? Mm. And this was a great question because uh, so uh, I think about a year or two ago, you know, we started to up our social media content, trying new things to try to get more views and eyeballs and, you know, brides uh, on our Instagram account. And, you know, it, it, it's it been done before. You know, we were copying other people that we had seen on YouTube doing these reaction videos, right? Uh, brides watching, uh, brides and grooms watching their film for the first time. Um, and one of our videos went viral. It got 2.3 million views. Uh, you can go find it on our Instagram right now. It's great. The couple is great. The story, the editing, everything was great. You know, so one, it was them really, but... Putting that into place was a great marketing deal because that that netted us like 8,000 new followers. It was almost 11,000, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So blew us up, 2.3 million views. Um, and people were asking for more of those, actually, on our YouTube. They were like, when are y'all going to do more of these? And I'm like, as soon as bride and grooms will do it for us. Yeah. So th- is, this is a hard one, and I haven't found the perfect answer for this, but I put it in um, one, I guess, now that I'm saying this, you could maybe even... Put it in your contract and like have that agreement up front that they would watch it uh, and record themselves. Another idea would be, and I would love to do this um, as we move potentially into a studio space, is have them come in to your office and watch the film there for the first time, and then you could professionally record it, right, and have cameras set up. Um, But what we do currently is I I pit. Uh, that video, the 2.3 million, or another video, uh, we have you know maybe six or seven of those reaction videos on Instagram, and they've all done really well. Not not you know not the millions, but thousands of views, and so I share like the sample, like hey, can you set up you know just your iPhone, prop it up while you're watching on your TV or uh, your laptop, wherever it is. Um, We're just going to cut up and use little pieces, but our team loves to watch your reaction, which is true. We love watching that. And then we also want to share like the best moments on social. By the way, here's an example of one that went viral. I think you guys can beat that. Let's record, you know, will you record it? We'd love to see, you know, your reaction. And I would say I'm getting like a, maybe a 50%. No, not even that. I want to say it's 30% success rate, but 30 is better than nothing because it, it is a big ask. You know, people, you know, it's, it's a private moment at times. And so, you know, I don't think every bride and groom are going, you know, it's not for everyone. Um, but when you do get it, I also would say reward your bride and groom too. There's also you could suggest perks, right? Like, hey, I'll throw in raw footage hard drive for free or maybe uh, you've got a, a thumb drive or a storybook player or something, you know. That you can gift them. Send them. Send them a bottle of wine, perhaps. Right to three buck chuck from TJ's, baby. <laughs> send them a bottle of wine and say record yourself. So, um, you know, it, it's it's hard, uh, but the payoff is great. Not only as an artist to see somebody yeah. enjoy your work, um, but it's great piece of marketing because I think people always want to see what their day could look like and how impactful it is going to be to watch those memories, right? And you don't know until you know, until you're there and you like have your own wedding film. You don't know how important it is. And so watching that really, you know, sends home that it's one of the most, if not the most important thing that you should have on your wedding day to remember it by.
0: The only other thing that I would add to that is, um, as somebody who just recently got to experience their wedding film, uh, and, and I actually edited my own wedding film, um and then but showing my wife mm. I wish I had her reaction on video that I could remember because she like was bawling and it was like so cool that I got to like help craft the story that like made that a special moment for her yeah. and if I had that reaction on video I would treasure that video just as much as the wedding video uh, maybe not just as much but like it would be a really cool memory to hold on to and look back and show my future you know children like this moment it would have been a cool moment to see like imagine if you could see you know your your family's like reaction to watching theirs like it's it's really cool that's awesome i'm gonna start that's
1: i'm glad you shared that man i think i'm gonna start using that in my email request uh now with bride and grooms but yeah man we we hope uh that helps and uh it is tricky but i love them i love watching those uh reaction videos too especially when they're in short form you know best moments so that's a good question. We'd love that one. Um, all right, I'm gonna jump into this next one. So um this is who this is a tough one. Uh what are effective strategies for dealing with flash photography, banding, and wedding footage? This is a struggle.
0: So, so here's what I'd say on on banding, right? If there's a moment, let me start over. If you're if the photographer that you're working alongside of has a style that incorporates flash the bride and groom have chose that when they looked at the style of the photographer in advance and they like that and because they're there they have a job to do just like you have a job to do if a moment is happening one time there's nothing that you can do about it and there doesn't need to be anything in my opinion that you have to do if it's happening one time like if if it's in a dark church and they have their kiss at the altar and there's flash like you have to have flash in your video. Um, and that just is what it is. And the bride wants flash photography. So in my opinion, there's nothing that you can do about it. We're, we're capturing moments um, as creative storytellers, but there's a documentary aspect to capturing a wedding film. Um, if you are doing something that is staged, I have no problem asking my brides and grooms to do something twice if... If me and the photographer are both staging part of a couple session after the ceremony, I'll ask, I'll talk to the photographer and the couple and just say, hey, can we do one with Flash and one without? And we both,
1: you know, get to have our cake and eat it too. I got to jump in because I got a funny story. So, yeah, I do that and we go, you know, talk to the photographer too. And that's one thing. I usually talk to the photographer at the beginning of the day and say, hey, we're here to teamwork together you know, you can even get your shots first and then I need to get shots and, like, before we move them, all that stuff. And, and we talk about flash, too, if they have flash and how we can kind of operate in those moments. Yeah. I've had even photographers say, is it okay if I use flash? You know, I'm like, you could do what you got to do. Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to work around it. Um, but we will, can we, you know, do things twice? That way I can have it without flash. So the funny story is the, uh, the photographer was taking, like, their photos and they're like, okay, your turn. So then, you know, I'm directing, like, a scene and then all of a sudden I see a flash happen like once yeah. or twice and I'm like turning. I'm like, Dude. bro, come on. And they're like, oh, sorry. It was like, that was a really good scene. I want to know. Yeah. I'm like, all right, we got to do it one more yep. time. Yep. Please hold your flash. Yeah. You know?
0: The other thing, too, is they have plugins. Uh, I think it's digital anarchy that makes a flash reduction uh, plugin that can actually help mitigate and reduce or completely eliminate it from your scene in post, um, depending on how bad it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And again, I've had brides ask me, "What are these what are these white things that are happening in the film?" and I'm like, "That's flash." So, also, I'd go back when you're first contracting your bride and groom, it's great to talk about that at some point in your consulting process, right? Day before, whatever. You know, hey, just so you know, if there's flash photography you know, it will show up in the video, but I've got ways that we're going to try to work around it, but that's what that is. It just sets you up for more success when you do have to explain yep. that to them, like, yeah, I can't get rid of that. Uh, and again, go the plug-in route. If you want to spend the money and the time to get that out, um, you know, make it happen. Um, that's the way to do it. But, you know, unless it's messing up something that's really cinematic that you want in your reel, I think it's part of the real moment, man. And that's that's part of, like that's you it. said, the documentary part aspect of wedding filmmaking love it uh, all right so um, you know this one uh, is interesting I don't I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this one but I think we have a different process than most perhaps but this is how do you keep project timelines on track when dealing with slow responding clients um, so this opens up a whole nother Pandora's box of do you allow revisions you know do you allow client input and so my mo is uh, it, it's a it's a dance between being an artist, right, and providing something of high value to the client, but then also listening to them. And so I always tell them in the consultations, pre production, like we're going to talk about design, style, feeling of your fi- film. You know, moody, light, bright, and airy. What do you want it to look like? Because um, we do customize it. Set them the story. Uh, we don't have one specific look that we just nail to. Um, moody is the correct answer, though. <laughs> Joey likes it moody, so. Uh, But I say, in the wedding day, like, you don't have to worry about anything. We're going to take care of it because we have all these notes, these mood boards, design boards, everything on you, right? And so, and we've talked about it. But when you get to the edit, it's over. Like, now we control it. We control the creative. That's what you're paying us money to do. We're going through 10 hours plus of footage between two filmmakers, and we're going to craft it down into a cinematic highlight film that's going to blow your mind, Right. And 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 so because they're like, hey, do we can we like give you feedback? And I'm like, no, no revisions. So you can put it in your contract. You can uh, have that discussion all the way through the process. So expectations clear. You will still get clients that will ask for things, and that's where you go. You got to decide what's best for your company, your reviews, all of that, and what's doable, right? Like I've had people say, can can you remove like this this one kid? In this video, because we're no longer friends with him, and he was in the dancing of the reception, it was actually a a, a, a female, and it was the you know a bridesmaid, I think. Actually, the story was, and they're like, "Yeah, sure, sorry, you know, hope everything's okay." Happily did it. Just cut a few scenes, re-exported it. You know, we hadn't gone public with it yet. You know, we get it to the bride and groom first privately and say, you know, we're so excited for y'all to view this, watch it, record yourselves watching it, and share it on social. We'll be posting in a week, right? So we kind of set expectations there as well. Um, And so I would say we're not on their timeline, we're on our timeline. We have a 90 day promise um, and we're trying to hit 30 days or less uh, to keep it fresh with the client. Um, But we have a 90 day contractual promise to our couples. Um, so, I would say avoid being on their timeline at all um, because, yes, that can definitely get you backlogged uh, like crazy if you're waiting on their feedback. It's good. Yeah. Joey's got, Joey 100% agrees. Um, on uh, that. It's to a lot of to producing. That, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so let's go on to this one. Uh, how can I balance creativity with a couple's expectation in a wedding video? Honestly, I think I just answered that too. You know, be upfront with it and decide that at the beginning of the process don't wait till the end that's that's where it gets messy and you have to do a lot of problem solving and you're always going to be weighing your review or a lawsuit or whatever right that's like the biggest fear like oh we're getting get suit like you don't want to be dealing with that in the end even though you're going to have to every once in a while so you know mitigate those issues at the very beginning with clear communication and and better contracts.
0: The other thing, too, that I would say is from a creativity standpoint, I think it's important when you're trying to build a wedding company that you brand your company with a specific style of video um, where, you know, for instance, some, some companies will just do musical montages with no audio at all. And we've had people request that from us, and it's like if that's what you want... We can deliver that it actually takes a lot of the leg out for us but i think in terms of like creativity when a bride and groom discovers you guys they're they're going to choose you for the creativity that you bring as a stylistic you know pillar of your business um and so just you know like we tell stories out of order um, that's kind of one of the things that we feel like elevates the film and makes it more interesting, rather than telling it from a linear standpoint. And so that's kind of a, a branding move for us. And so in terms of them speaking to the creativity of elements like that, or, or the look and feel of a piece, or you know even the length of the film, all of that should be kind of expected in your style and why
1: they're choosing you
0: to begin with.
1: 100%, I mean, it's like somebody, you know, coming to buy, coming to a car dealership to buy a a, a sedan, like a four-door car, but they're like, no, but I want it to be a a minivan. It's like, no, we don't make minivans here, you know what I mean? So, like, we could, we know how to do it, but that's not our style, and so, I agree. We're we're kind of in the middle of, like, we customize as much as we can, but you're right, we have brand standards that we hold to, because that's what people come to us for, Right. right? Um, so that's that's great, man. Great input there. Yeah. Uh, this is uh this is kind of into the edit and the creativity as well. And this is a great question. I've seen a lot of videographers struggle with. And I and I'll share a personal story with this too. But what are some good music sources for wedding videos to avoid copyright issues? So starting out, I did not do my due diligence. I did not know uh, enough about copyright because at the time it was like, oh, these are private wedding films. They're just gonna watch it. Um, at home together once a year, that type of thing. and that was mostly the case. it was private showing. doesn't doesn't still make it right to use like copyrighted music. Um, but I quickly learned I was like if I'm scaling and use this as a business and using these pieces of marketing or you know 2012 uh, to now everything's on the internet, everybody wants to share everything on the internet. So the Brian and grooms are going to want to post that film. So you've got to have copyright free, Um, or licensed music that you can use in all of your films. And it's so, so important to do that, um, not only to protect yourself, but to protect your couple um, and the longevity of them being able to utilize their film on a platform, a public platform.
0: Yep. Um, The two that I personally like the best are musicbed.com and artless.io. Uh, I personally found that those are my go-tos that I have found the most success finding a song that I will add to a film, but there's a ton of other ones. There's Soundstripe, Epidemic, Firefly. um, uh, I'm sure there's a handful more. Song Freedom.
1: I I think Song Freedom turned to Firefly. Yeah. 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 So they, yeah, I agree with you uh, on those two. And I will say this, if you do have a couple and this is your style where you're like, yes, I'll go license a copyrighted, um, track. There is a um site cause I we get asked this a lot, like, can you do this? Or I've seen videographers like, how do I, you know, use a copyrighted song? Can I even do it? And I did <laughs> a lot of research and there's a a site, I believe it's called tracks.com, and mm-hmm. you can actually y- use copyrighted music, but it costs a ton. I mean, it's yeah. like they're working deals with the label. Yeah. And so like you and, and so I tell brides, you know, they're like, oh, I really, you know, I have to have this song. I'm like. Yeah, let me go find out the price and I'm come back and I'm like, "Hey, it's 5k. Do you want to use that for yeah. your thing?" And they're like, "Oh, no, never mind." You know? Right. So, now you have that education. You can avoid doing yep. the legwork and just say, "Hey, it's going to be around this price." That usually stops yep. it uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. Um and and back to your point, Musicbed like has a lot of great like they're not jingly songs. Same thing with Artlist. And I would say you have to pay money to get good co- content, too. Musicbed's not cheap. Um you know, Artlist isn't necessarily cheap so it's a you know spend money for good quality music right
0: well and i think it depends too on how much you're outputting you know if you're outputting you know x amount of projects a year uh, especially if you're double dipping into the commercial space where you need to use those anyway it pays for itself really quickly i think i mean correct me if i'm wrong but it's probably like five to seven hundred bucks a year or something so
1: music bed's about uh 1200 actually yeah. so it's about 100 a month and so yeah i would say you know wait until you're pretty established to do music bed Artlist is a little yeah. more economical way and, to go and there's ways to buy individual tracks i was going to say
0: premium beat is a website where i think you can buy individual tracks and audio jungle and there's some mm-hmm. other like websites out there where you can buy it on a per project basis instead of a subscription Music bed
1: you can do yeah. that as well yeah. so there's it's a way to go until you're like hey the subscription makes sense and yeah. i like you said you're using it for commercial projects as well just check the license because de- depending on the um, distributor, uh, even Musicbed, like they have a wedding license and then they have like a commercial license that's way you know more expensive. So if you want to use in commercial, you got to have the correct license so you don't get yourself and that company in trouble. So, yep. Good piece of advice, man. Uh, let's jump into this one. How should it, because this kind of uh, goes a little bit, this is a little piece of it, uh, having that subscription. How should I price my wedding videography services? And we kind of covered that of like how to scale up but I would say you need to know the cost of doing business, right? So, and music is one of them. Like, so you know, knowledge is power. So, knowing that you need copyright music, go research and go. Oh, you know, am I going to pay for an individual song and it's fifty dollars, or I'm going to do a twelve hundred dollar uh, a year, you know, subscription? What am What am I going to invest? And then you got a line item, everything that it takes to make a wedding film: your time, um, pre production time. Uh, what, how are you delivering the video files? Are you sending it via Dropbox? Are you having? Are you doing so much volume that you have to pay for a Dropbox subscription? Can you do it on Google Drive for free? You know what? What are all the little things that add up? Insurance. Um, that's where you get your cost of doing business, and that's going to be your base, I would say. And then you decide what the market can bear, right? So research what other companies are charging, and then find a competitive space in there. And then also your price says a lot about your Target audience too that you're going after, right? So, do you want to, you know, do fifteen hundred or two thousand dollar weddings, and is that your clientele, or are you looking for, you know, the luxury clients, bigger weddings um, that end up being, you know, sometimes more cinematic, and you're doing, you know, the six to ten k weddings, six thousand to the ten thousand uh, weddings. So, find your base, right, and then decide uh, what your market can bear and what can it can bear in Texas. Isn't the same as what can bear in New York, in Cali, or any other state. It's going to depend on even your city. Yeah, yeah.
0: the The biggest thing, too, outside of even all of those, like that's that's really the nitty gritty, uh, like secret sauce of like knowing how much hours and and costs go into the business. But even on the just basic production and post production side of things, you have to know from experience how many hours and post you typically spend on an edit. And so I think back in the day, you were, you could do one in about twenty to twenty-four like total hours, which is way faster than I can do them. Um, but it it would take me somewhere between like thirty to forty. Um, back when I was making like eight-minute films,
1: mm-hmm. I could I could
0: definitely do like a five-minute one now in, in less time. But um, you know, if you know that you're going to be spending twenty-five hours in the edit. You got to ask yourself, what do you want to make an hour to edit, and then factor that into your post cost, and then you know, knowing your onset cost as well. Like if you and a second shooter are going to be there for eight hours for the day, you know, obvi- that's that's pretty obvious math. But adding that to the post production and the pre production and the other costs of doing business will help give you that number.
1: Yeah, and talking about the the edit real quick too, because that's a good point. It took me years to get, and my fastest flip was. Yeah, under twenty hours. It was. I think it was sixteen hours, um, and it was for like eight to ten minute film. And I mean, I just it, you know, lived and breathed until it was done because we were backlogged. Yeah. Uh, but and it turned out to be an awesome film, I think, because I just focused so much time and just knocked it out. But the um, but some editors will take sixty hours, right? And so you do have to be careful of like, well, I want to make thirty an hour or fifty an hour, a hundred an hour, but it's going to take me sixty hours. You know, th- that's partly of leveling up your game at speed as well. You know, I mean, art is art. If it does take you that long and you can charge it, that makes sense. But, you know, th- what we've told uh, even our editors, like, hey, it's a flat rate because we, we say this should take you somewhere between ter- 20 and 30 hours on average to do this film at this amount of rate. So you do have to kind of be fair to yourself and the market as well and go, well, just because it takes me 60 hours the average for this should be X, Y, Z. So that's what I'm going to base my rate on, right? Instead of going, well, it's going to take me 60 hours, and I guess I have to charge $8 for that hour, right? You know what I mean? To make it like economical, uh, you know, because you're just starting out, right? Right. But you'll get faster and faster as you go. Um, All right, man, that's that's a great one. I think, uh, you know, pricing is is such a a hot topic as well. And we kind of covered a little bit of it at the beginning too, you know, try not to be the race at the bottom, right. you know, but I am going to be that guy that, you know, it's okay to start lower um, and then build your build your rate up as your portfolio grows.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all artists. As much as we're doing, you know, business, like when we're when you're making films like this or any types of films, you're making art. And as an artist coming up, you have to understand that you're not going to be a, Super highly paid artists. When you're trying to get your foot in the door, mm-hmm. it's just not how it works. Like you have to, you have to work hard to make better money in the industry, and it will not happen overnight. You have to have uh, a starting portfolio, and then you have to scrap that portfolio and make a better portfolio, and then you have to do that twelve more times over. You know what I mean? And yeah. like you slowly level up your prices. And the way that I've always looked at it is when I can charge, when I was coming up, I would charge lower prices, Um, say I was doing a $500 video, I would do those until my calendar was filling up and then I realized I had the quality of work that I was outputting was growing past the prices that I was delivering and I needed to raise my prices to then free up more of my calendar. And so I would say in the same way with making pricing, your wedding films out, when you can start filling up your weekends, you can start raising your prices.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And don't forget your, your edit too. Cause I think a lot of what I've seen on the forums too, is people are backlogged for months and months and months, you know, and it's just like, don't forget that you got to shoot that, but you also have time. You have to have time to edit that. Yep. Right. And so, man, that's a great point. and I would say um, on on that note of uh, increasing your price, you know, we try to uh, increase the price almost every year. So I'd always say constantly level your price up, okay? As, as your portfolio and your target market changes. You might find that sweet spot though, right? We did sit for several years um, because we wanted the volume coming in, right? Of weddings. And uh, I would also say that, you know, the people in the forums forums are gonna hate me because they're gonna say like, you know, when 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 new people come in and they're like, hey, I'm charging fifteen hundred for a wedding, and everybody's like, get out of here, you're ruining the industry. And it's like, dude, like those clients are not your clients anyways, right? Like you're not you're no longer going after the fifteen hundred dollar bride, you're going after the four thousand or three or whatever it is, right? So you don't need to worry about the the new guys coming in because they're gonna quickly learn that. To the cost of doing business isn't at that 1500 mark. And you'll see that there's a lot of... Now, to their point, a lot of companies are giving the industry a bad name because they go bankrupt, they never deliver the edits, they hire out these random you know freelancers because they're charging $1,200. So there are some bad apples out there, but I would say for the guys that are starting out that are growing, it's okay to start there and then just quickly grow... Um, because you're going to find that the cost of doing business in your backlog of edit costs way more than you think it does. And you've got to compete uh, at, at a reasonable price into the market.
0: And you don't want to overcharge too soon. Like if you go out there and charge a premium for your work when you have no portfolio and then you have to come back like with mistakes throughout the edit mm-hmm. and the quality is not actually matching the price that you're delivering at, you know, that's an issue. Like you have to increment your prices up in in conjunction with the quality that you're delivering.
1: Absolutely. I've seen um, a response on like, I think it was a news article or it was in the forums that somebody had shared, but it was basically like a bride and groom had been like, we paid like $5,000 for this video and you play the video and it looks like- It's cringe. Yeah, it's like probably like, you know my first wedding yeah. film that I ever shot, and it was just like, dude, this is so bad. Yeah. And they got gypped, you know, yeah. they got they got jipped by probably a big company that overcharged and they outsourced the the shoot and the edit. So that's good, man. Well, we could beat the money to the death, but it is a hot hot topic. So yeah. So uh, we'll keep moving on from that. Um, let's jump into some tech questions for you, man, because you you can speak to a lot of these. Uh, we have people asking uh, what lenses should be in their kit. Um, like, what does the basic kit look like for, for lenses and wedding videography? So, my personal
0: preference is to run most of the day on a 24 to 70. Um, I find that it's the most versatile lens for me to be able to get a wide shot and a telephoto shot um, just on the fly. I do a mix between gimbaling and handheld throughout the day. Um, And I'll typically put my second shooter on a 70 to 200 on a monopod where they can get more static shots that are more telephoto. uh, And we can mix in two different styles of lenses uh, throughout the day. And so for me, the most versatile choice is 24 to 70. I run on it all day long. That said, you can get some, if you have time, you can get some really, really pretty shallow depth of field shots with primes if you want to quickly swap one on or have your second shooter run with one. For a certain section of the day.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love, uh, if you, if you have the money and you can mix in a few more, I love seeing like a macro lens, like an 85 or something that it's, you know, and you're doing the rings with, I mean, you can still knock it out with the 24 to 70. It looks beautiful. But it, like you said, if you have time and you're in the reception, you can throw a macro on. It's nice to have something like that. And then finally, I was always a big fan of wide. So like a 16 to 35. However, you're really only going to use that on like establishing shots. So it's kind of like, the drone, like you, you need it. You know it's great, but you know to your point, the twenty-four to seventy is like your sweet spot. It's got yep. a little bit of everything, and it's beautiful what you can output with it.
0: Yep, the drones are like I, I heard it put one way. Drones are like Tabasco sauce. Little bit makes it just right. Too much ruins the whole product. So true. So if you can't oversaturate uh, a film with drone footage, it's just like Tabasco. You need just a little bit,
1: dude. You know that way back in the day, I was so in 2012. uh, A little bit after that, I got the Phantom One with the GoPro on it. It Looked terrible, bro. Like that's why you don't even look at those films anymore. But everybody was like, oh my gosh, you have drone in your wedding films. And it was a hot selling point. And it is standard now. Like if you're doing a wedding film, everybody is going to ask you like, do you have drone? And yeah, we do drone. But we I feel like we use it less and less and less because yeah. it is overused. And it's, it's like, yes, show the venue in all its glory. Can you do a cool transition shot with a drone? It, are you getting like the FPV stuff they're mixing into weddings? That's pretty cool. But yeah. I'm like, how are these guys having time to like choreograph right. and plan this shot out. Somebody, if you if you're doing this and you're listening to this episode, write us and tell us yes. how you do that. Cause I I I have to be able to do that. It looks yeah, awesome. I but love it. It's a lot. But yeah, I agree with you, man. It's uh it's it's kind of like a dying fad, I feel yeah. like, that uh that got us a long way at the beginning, but now it's just oversaturated. Yeah, you gotta have a little bit of it, but just never too much. Yeah. Um, All right, man. Well, uh, I know we are going pretty long on this, so I'm going to have to skip through some of the questions. But um, I think this one is a good one that we should cover because it's part of growing from a a freelancer to a business. And I see this question a lot. Has anyone hired an editor? What are things to consider before hiring one? So, yeah, we have a lot of personal experience doing that over the years. Um, And I would say, first, uh, don't ever outsource to... Uh, well, I should I shouldn't say don't ever. Uh, in our experience, I would not suggest outsourcing to any you know international company um, where you don't have that relationship with the editor one on one, getting the film to the quality that you want it. So I would say first source somebody locally if you can that you can work with because um, they're going to really have to learn your style. A film uh, and how you edit. Um, and, and you don't have to do that in person, but it's nice to have them within reach as well to hand off drives, especially if you're not paying for like a cloud storage, you know, set up yet. Um, so I would say hire somebody locally, know that that first one or two projects takes a while for them to get up to the speed and expectation and even style of your delivery, unless they're already really established and they can learn your style. Um, and then also, I would say one more tip, everybody leaves. So like at Cinema Story, we have, you know, in-house editors, uh, awesome wedding filmmakers, vi- uh, film editors that have been working with us for years and years and years now. And we've helped develop the relationship and the style. And they brought their value to us. And we've shown them like, hey, this is how we want, you know, our our wedding films to look. So it's a slow process, I would say. It's not like, oh, I'm backlogged 10 weddings. I'm just going to dump it on somebody's lap. You're not going to get the results you want. Um, not that I have ever experienced, right? And so we've actually, you know, tried to do that in a busy season, and we had to bring it all back in house and just get it done. Hence yeah. the the ten hours, you know, and Joey's uh, knocked out weddings, uh, you know, like that for us too. So one, you know, and this was way back. If any brides are listening, we uh, <laughs> we never outsource. Um, we only use people in house um and and we work with them very closely on that um Joey what else man i mean vimeo is a huge thing yeah, I was given gonna, those review notes
0: yeah so we we use vimeo review where we can leave time coded notes on the project a lot of people use frame io they're potato potato um, but we can go in and leave time coded notes with the editor uh on everything and the other thing that i would say too is uh having a brand guide will really help your editing Person. Um, So, having all of the fonts uh, that you use, all of the stylistic decisions that you want implemented, the way that you tell stories clearly laid out in a brand guide will really help them as they go
1: and start editing for you. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, All right, one more tech question, then we're going to kind of get into maybe like a rapid fire round of advice and then wrap us out with our last five questions we always ask every guest, but wedding style. So, but one more question because I think. For the cinematographers out there, lighting man, that's such a it's such a tough one. So uh, people want to know, you know, how do you like the dance floor to avoid hot spots, but like keeping people exposed properly. Yeah. So for me, I actually used to struggle with this um, before
0: I switched to Sony cameras, and so now that you have Sony cameras, uh, you can just light everything up, go ISO twelve thousand eight hundred, and everything's bright as day. It's amazing. Um, but what I will say is I typically put two Aperture 60Xs uh, opposite of the dance floor um, or have my second shooter help move them like if we're shooting the cake or something to that effect. Uh, and that's been a really effective um, and economic way to get good lighting in a ceremony. What I would tack on to that is I always carry an onboard light for my camera that I can rig into the hot shoe. Um, because sometimes you'll have planners or bride and grooms who say that the light is too bright and they just want to have more of a dark, moody dance atmosphere. And so in that case, I always keep in my bag an onboard light. or if a moment is happening that I can't quickly set up and I want to run and capture, I'll have the onboard on my camera already where I can quickly pop it on in a super dark scenario.
1: Yeah, I love that. And in, in way back, I remember, uh, you know, I started with the onboard lights. And again, we didn't have the Sonys. And a lot of brides were like, we love your film. Because I, I got that from uh, TV, reality TV, and being yeah. able to light in dark situations. You just always need a light on you. Yeah. It's not the most dynamic thing. It's coming right yeah. at them, right? but uh so you know but but people are lit up and we would get feedback from brides and they go we love your films because we can actually see what's happening in the reception where like these other films or filmmakers that we were looking at their reception footage is all dark like we can't see facial expressions it's,
0: it's really a stylistic choice too and and how you brand yourself because some people prefer that some people don't want any lights they want that darker look some people like the flat look, some people like the dynamic look with cross lighting. And so like there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. I've also seen people hire uh, second shooters to just come and light everything from the side and they're just following them around side lighting with a handheld light. And there's a lot of different methods that you can do, and it really goes in. In my opinion, it's how you like your wedding films to look, how you want to light them moving forward so that you can brand yourself with that style of lighting, and brides will choose you because of it.
1: Yeah, 100%. Well said. Um, All right, man. Well, I'm going to get to a rapid fire round. I'm just going to spit out some pieces of advice from the producing business side. Cool. And then perhaps, and you've already covered a lot of the gear side, but I'll ask you maybe like, we'll start with you. What are some of, uh, like, what are the gear, what is the must have pieces of gear for a wedding? He calls this the rapid fire round. (laughs) (laughs) I was just expecting to spit them out. Yep. Gimbal, drop. Man.
0: Um, yeah, I would say you want a gimbal, you want a drone, you want multiple tripods, you want multiple cameras, 70 to 200, 24 to 70, multiple ND filters, pro-miss filters if you can, uh, zoom recorder, um, XLR cable, quarter to quarter cable, RCA in case you got an old dinosaur DJ in there. <laughs> um, you want to make sure that you have lav mics, uh, two to three, mic. Um, onboard mic, multiple SD cards, multiple batteries, multiple chargers. You got to have quite a kit, and that's just off the top of my head.
1: That is a <laughs> rapid fire round, ladies and gentlemen. And hard drives, pu- hard drives for getting all the, uh, the the footage. Yeah, maybe you said that. And lighting and lighting. Yeah, there's so much stuff you have to have. That's great. I would say just from a business side, make sure you have a solid contract in place, have insurance for you and for your team members that are going out. So you got to have a COI for most venues, they'll ask for that. So go ahead and get a agent and get insured uh drone license. Make sure every lead shooter you are uh hiring or that's flying a drone has a part 1 uh, uh, 107 107, thank you joey he's he's one license of our license to fly over here license to fly you gotta have a part 107 um because venues will also require that as well and there's it's legally just the right thing to do uh have a backup plan this is a big one that i learned uh obviously with covid and even before that i had uh you know what happens if you have a family emergency right so who is your backup person? I've had other companies ask us in situations, and unfortunately, you know, like we we were already booked, we couldn't help them. So have a clear backup plan in place for your uh, your contractual agreement. So it's like, hey, and we have that at Cinema Story. We have five filmmakers that we uh, do leads for, and so you know we don't book them all. So we always have a couple of people on the bench that can come off the bench and cover that wedding, and so same thing with that. You know, make sure that, um, you know, if you don't have a team, who is a filmmaker in the area that you can link up with and have that discussion ahead of time and be like, hey, can I come to you as a backup if ever needed? Because last thing you want to do is go to that client and say, hey, I'm not coming to your wedding, even though contractually I agreed to be there, you know, and it's the day before because, you know, you've had a family emergency or you're sick. So, um, and I'll end with that, man. Uh, last thing, make friends in the industry. Vendors are going to be one of your biggest referral sources. Start with uh, venues, planners, photographers. That is your three key. And in that order, venues and planners, I will say planners probably have brought us the most referrals. But if you can get in with a venue and you're on their preferred uh, vendor list, um, which you can't just go and ask. Like you got to show the work. You got to, you know, show that you're a great vendor for that venue. Um, that is how you can start ramping up a lot more referral leads. And those I find close the best because they came from a a friendly source that is vouching for the quality work that you do. Love it, dude. Boom. So good. All right, man. Well, let's wrap out with a. Uh, I'm going to, I don't, you know what? We're going to bounce back and forth with these five questions, okay? So we're both not going to answer them just for time. But what, uh, these are the five questions we ask every person on the podcast. We kind of change them a little bit for the wedding side. So if you could go back and start from day one um, in the wedding film industry, what is one thing that you would change?
0: Um, I would have implemented more... There's a lot of things I would have changed. I would have implemented different lighting sooner. Mm. Um, I got really... I, I would say that I got stuck in my ways early on. Like, I learned one way of doing a, a, a wedding film, and it took me a long time to stretch out of doing stuff a certain way and, and growing past a certain way of learning how to do them. And so, for me, I would have studied more films and tried to emulate uh films that i respect the
1: execution on sooner that's that's great man i got so much to say on that but i'm gonna keep my mouth shut for time (laughs) uh but you're 100 on what excites you the most about the current wedding film market this one's for me um man i would say that you know it's actually kind of scary right now i think 2020 was a big uh change and i think brides are a little more nervous to book something so far out. But what I am excited about is that's kind of going away. Events are happening, obviously, like everybody's back. Um, But we had noticed a trend of brides waiting to like six months before or three months before, even a month before to book a wedding. Before we would book out, you know, a year in advance, but I'm saying it's good news is around the corner. We had we had a, a bride book two years in advance just recently, so it's coming back. Um, you know, people. The good thing about this industry, people are still getting married. They're always going to get married, and it's a uh, video is now a prime part of that experience. And I think it is you know one of the top. It is actually the the biggest thing that people regret not having. And we use that stat. Feel free to steal that stat. It's from Brides.com it's great when you're talking to your clients it is the number one regretted piece of the pie that brides regret if they don't have wedding videography love it. but it's exciting video is is king now and and there's more and more uh weddings that are happening me me and my wife love our
0: wedding photos but i haven't made prints of them yet and granted i'm in the video industry but we've gone back and watched our film 25, 30 times together. And being able to relive the day through video is something that I will never, never regret spending money on. That's great,
1: man. That's good to hear. Are you, do you watch it and you go... Shane, shoot, hold steady, old man.
0: <laughs> I, shot
1: his, I shot his wedding film. You did a great job. Uh yeah, that's a masterpiece. Yeah. Um good <laughs> thing you edited it. So what's uh one piece of so this is for you? What's one piece of advice you give to wedding filmmakers trying to grow their craft in the art or business side of yeah. wedding films?
0: When I had when I finally got married, it changed my perspective on how I shoot wedding films because it made me realize what I really care about being in my own film. Prior to prior to getting married, when I was editing or shooting for a bride and groom, I was so wrapped up in how it was a reflection on me and my work and I put less focus on making it something that the brides and grooms can remember even if it's not a perfect reflection of what i could do and i think that once i finally had that revelation of man it doesn't matter how good it looks it doesn't matter how the light you know how the lighting appears on on these people like the moment that they're able to relive is the most important part hands down and you've got to keep that on the forefront when you're making wedding films
1: i loved when you had that epiphany by the way i got to share this because he you know joey and i review everything that goes through the company he kind of looks on the cinematic side he's the cinema of cinema story and i'm the story of cinema story and so we're we'll go through it and before he'd be like nah that shot just doesn't it doesn't work man it doesn't it doesn't look good enough and i'm like joey they, we need this in there. Like, I promise you, they're going to want to see this. And he's like, well, it's soft focus or whatever it is. Right. And then when you had your wedding and you said that, I was like, yes, you yeah. like, I got a little, you, you know, yeah. you understand the story side is so important, but we always want to make sure yeah. the cinematic it doesn't goes.
0: matter if the shot is soft focused, if it's underexposed, if it's poorly composed, if you don't show the important moments that is a mistake even if you didn't capture it properly you've got to give your bride and groom something to remember even if it was not executed perfectly it matters so much more just being able to like jump back into that moment and relive it even if it wasn't documented perfect
1: yeah yeah. Now, if everything's soft focus, you you have a bigger problem.
0: <laughs> it's a uh, new age filmmaking, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, where are we as an industry headed in wedding filmmaking? What should we all be focusing on right now? I would say uh, upping your social content, candid, raw moments. Uh, it has done really well for us. Also, um, uh, people love pieces, right? They they love shorter. Uh, just pieces that they can share. So not only are we turning over wedding films now, which is like in our contract promise, but we are giving them like bonus little social pieces that then they're going out and sharing. So I think everyone should be focused on, you see that in the music video industry, we talked about another episode, you know, uh, art, music artists, performing artists are like wanting little short, videos. They don't even care about the longer video anymore. So, I would say start thinking about maybe, and this is, we need to think about this, how can you package smaller form content? Um, in fact, I've heard this, we just got asked to do this. Uh, I haven't told you yet, but we've asked to co- been a, a content creator for a celebrity for her wedding, and it's like coming out to just shoot little shorts instead of the wedding film. And it's like, that's becoming a thing, and it's becoming yeah. popular. So, uh, I think look where we're headed with social, TikTok, Instagram, Reels, YouTube, Shorts. How can you monetize that? I love that, bro. That's yep. great. All right, man, last one. Who's a wedding filmmaker do uh, that you admire and why? Mm. I think
0: um, two answers probably come to mind. I really like how the wedding poets uh, tell mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, they do a really, really great job of capturing the day uh, in a really artistic way, but still with like high cinematic, uh, you know, um, just higher quality cinematic experience for the viewers. I think they do a really great job. And there's another guy, uh, his name is Jake Weisler. Um, I always like his films, man. They're super clean, uh, they look cool. He he tells stories in a really great way. And uh I've looked to to his films to gain inspiration for how I can do my own. So those two guys definitely stand out.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah, I agree. I agree with both of those. They're great. And there's a dozen more that I look up to and respect, but those are two prime examples. Hey, we hope this episode's been a help. If you're starting out in the wedding film industry or maybe you're in a rut or you're looking to expand and grow into a production company from a freelancer, uh, feel free to DM me directly anything business wedding film related. I would love to... You know, chop it up with you, give you uh, my two cents on how to scale and grow those things. Um, You know, we've got some secret sauce that I'm willing to spill. And so, you know, DM us directly. Joey is your resource for all things cinematography and business. Feel free to DM either one of us on Instagram, reach out. We'd be happy to uh, pour more of our experience um, uh, into you guys. Yeah. And the other thing too is uh, Shane and I
0: just created. 20 questions that... Uh, Every bride and groom
1: should ask their wedding videographer. Boom. Yeah. And so yeah. we we want to give you guys this free resource. All that you have to do is go... Uh, we'll put a link on here. You go sign up for the Rough Cut Club uh, podcast newsletter, and then we will ship you that PDF. And uh, it's a really valuable asset that it's 20 things that you should be able to answer uh, that bride and grooms um, know to ask. Okay? And so, like looking at these. And if you don't know the answers, we can help you too on that. Love it, man. Well, this has been a
0: great episode. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Uh, pouring into the episode and and just aside from that thank you for pouring into me helping me learn how to shoot these crazy things called weddings and so appreciate you and uh thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise man
1: absolutely man absolutely if you can see a joey Nakotra wedding film uh through cinema story wedding films they are gorgeous so the uh much appreciated the uh mentee has become the master at wedding cinematography so i definitely look up to joey nicotre admire this guy uh, as a wedding filmmaker but uh joey how can they uh get a hold of us follow us
0: yeah man we are on all things at the rough cut club if you got any questions if you want to reach out get connected follow at the rough cut club if you've listened to this point we thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to catch you on the next episode of the rough cut club